This is World Lutheran News Digest, an audio news magazine bringing you a look at significant events in worldwide Lutheranism. WLN Digest is produced through the facilities of Worldwide KFUO, a broadcast ministry of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Today on World Lutheran News Digest... I'm World Lutheran News Digest host Kip Allen. When the United States entered the First World War, the county of St. George's, Maryland, answered the call. Soldiers, both black and white, went to France to fight. Forty-nine of them didn't return and remained buried on foreign soil. After the war, Mothers of the Lost decided that they wanted a memorial to remember their lost sons. Working with the American Legion, the Peace Cross was raised in the town of Bladensburg, Maryland in 1925, commemorating their sacrifice. So things remained, until a few years ago when an atheist driving by saw the cross from the road and was offended. The American Humanist Association filed suit demanding that the cross be torn down because, according to them, it represented an establishment of state religion. The case of the Bladensburg Cross worked its way up the judicial chain to the United States Supreme Court. Oral arguments were made to the justices earlier this month. First Liberty Institute defended the Bladensburg Cross in the case, and First Liberty spokesman Jeremy Dice is my guest on World Lutheran News Digest. And now, today's Fast Track. LCMS Secretary, the Reverend Dr. John Sias, has announced the names for the nominees for the Senate Presidency. The election for president will take place via internet balloting four weeks before the 67th regular convention of the LCMS, which is set for July 20th through the 25th in Tampa, Florida. The three candidates for president are, in the order of nomination received, Matthew C. Harrison, the incumbent Senate president, 1,181 nominations, David P. E. Mayer, president of the LCMS Michigan District with 947 nominations, and Timothy M. Klinkenberg, senior pastor of St. John's Lutheran Church in Orange, California with 638 nominations. Senate Democrats introduced legislation yesterday, both in the House and Senate, that would repeal the Hyde Amendment ban on taxpayer funding for abortion. This is the first time the legislation was introduced in the Senate. Democratic Representative Barbara Lee of California previewed her plan to introduce the legislation back in January when she promised to end the Hyde Amendment alongside Planned Parenthood President Leanna Wen. The Hyde Amendment is a spending rider that prohibits taxpayer funding of abortion except in cases of rape, incest, or the life of the mother, recognizing that many taxpayers have moral objections to their money being used for abortions. It was passed in Congress every year since 1976 with bipartisan support. A federal appeals court has upheld the constitutionality of Ohio's decision to defund Planned Parenthood yesterday. The 2016 law bars state funding to any health care organization that performs or promotes abortions. Planned Parenthood, the nation's largest abortion provider, sued over that law, claiming that it violated their First and Fourteenth Amendment rights. The 60th Circuit Court of Appeals ruled 11-6 to to overturn a previous decision by a three-judge panel in the same appeals court that said the law was unconstitutional. During his time as the state's attorney general last year, now Governor Republican Mike DeWine requested that the case be heard by the full Court of Appeals. 
U.S. Secretary of Education Betsy DeVos announced yesterday at the Council for American Private Education State Directors Annual Meeting that the department will no longer enforce a restriction barring religious organizations from serving as contract providers of equitable services solely due to their religious affiliation. The department will continue enforcing all other applicable provisions of federal law. In particular, school districts must continue ensuring that any contractor is independent of the private school for which it's providing services, and that the educational services and other benefits being provided by the contractor are secular, neutral, and non-ideological. World Liquor News Digest will be back right after these messages. Listening to Worldwide KFUO on the go with your smartphone doesn't mean you have to walk around with earbuds all day. You can Bluetooth across the room to a speaker system in your home or listen on radios that have built-in smartphone cradles. There are many easy ways to listen to WorldwideKFUO.org on the air, online, and on demand. We proclaim the clear gospel message of Christ crucified for our sins. The messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO. This is World Lutheran News Digest. I'm World Lutheran News Digest host Kip Allen. My guest today is Mr. Jeremy Dice. He's the Deputy General Counsel for First Liberty. Mr. Dice, could you tell me a bit about yourself and about First Liberty Institute? Well, First Liberty Institute is a nationwide religious liberty law firm. That's all we do at First Liberty is uh, is defend religious liberty, whether that's in the, the schools, in the houses of worship, within the public square, or in our military. We want to make sure that everyone is uh, is geared up for religious liberty, but also that we're turning this country back to an understanding of religious freedom, as outlined by our founding fathers. And, and my role is rather uh, insignificant in comparison to the overall goal of First Liberty, but that is simply just to to do the work of First Liberty, to get out there, talk about it, and represent clients who have had their religious liberty question. Now, you just, uh, you at First Liberty just argued before the U.S. Supreme Court the case of the Bladensburg Memorial Cross. Could you give the background of that, please? Yeah, back in 1919, mothers who had lost their sons in World War One decided that they wanted to honor the memory of their, their boys who had served so much and had given so much in the service of their country. In fact, these 49 young men who uh, went off to war and never came back were, uh, were to be memorialized outside of Lanesburg, Maryland. And what the mothers decided to do was to borrow from the imagery of the grave markers marking their graves in Europe, which were small Celtic crosses. And so they built, uh, or they, they began on the process of building a memorial that was in the shape of a Celtic cross. And by 1925, uh, the American Legion had joined with these mothers and finished the project, erecting the Bladensburg World War I Veterans Memorial in uh, what became Veterans Memorial Park, right beside the, uh, the, the National Defense Highway, which was itself a Veterans Memorial going from Washington, D.C. To, uh, to Annapolis, Maryland. And so they built that, and it was right there on private property, the property owned by the American Legion. And in the 1960s or so, that property was taken by the state, and it stood there without any kind of problem up until about five years ago, when after 86 years of existence, someone finally found reason to be offended by its presence. And so we've been at the Supreme Court working on this case on behalf of the American Legion because we knew what the mothers knew then, that we tend to forget things we do not see. And unless the court clarifies this area of the law, not only is, is this memorial slated for destruction, but hundreds of, it, hundreds of them like it across the country. 
I've got a news release from your organization, and you uh, say that this Bladensburg case could actually shape religious liberty for the next 30 years. Let's unpack this. What, what do you mean by that? Well, this is an area of the law to kind of unpack what that means, is, is that this area of the law is what Justice Thomas has described as being in hopeless disarray. Uh, and it's led to very bizarre and somewhat silly results ever since a decision back in 1971 known as Lemon versus Kurtzman. That created a test that the court refers to as the Lemon Test, and it is as sour as it might sound like, pardon the pun. But the, 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 the Lemon Test has resulted in various different tests along with it, things like the endorsement test, and, and it has created uh, reasonable observers. Reasonable observers, of course, are omniscient observers. They know everything that there is to know about a specific pattern or practice or, or monument or memorial, uh, and they're supposed to be familiar with it entirely and be uh, quotably neutral in their approach to things, except for the fact that most often when the reasonable observer shows up, he or she wants to knock down the memorial. So uh, this is the this is, this is the uncertainty we've been living in since 1971. Uh, the court has taken at times an attempt to try to qualify or otherwise uh, eliminate the lemon test, but it never has quite been fully eliminated. Justice Scalia, the late Justice Scalia, uh, articulated one time that it's like some sort of ghoul that sits up in its grave to be killed, only to rise again in horror pictures the night uh, the night after. Uh, it, it, it shuffles around in its somnolent state, as he said. Uh, and, and so it, it's been raking havoc upon the legal community and upon memorials like this around the country, so much so that it leads to silly results like this. Back a couple years ago, there were two Ten Commandments displays that were put up, one in Kentucky and an identical one down in Texas. On the same day, the court decided that the one in Kentucky was unconstitutional, but the same, the same monument down in Texas was constitutional. Uh, I don't quite know how to explain that other than to say that uh, I agree with Justice Thomas. This area of the law is in hopeless disarray. So let's bring that back now to this, this case itself. If this decision is not overturned, the lower court found that it actually violated this test, and therefore it's, it needs to be desecrated, uh, altered, or somehow destroyed, which is unconscionable to even think about. But if that decision is not overturned, not only does this memorial face itself uh, to be destroyed, so do memorials right across the river in Arlington National Cemetery, like the Argonne Cross and the Canadian Cross of Sacrifice. Indeed, there are 40 different uh, memorials like this, cross memorials within about a 40-mile radius of of the Bladensburg World War One Veterans Memorial, and and those would all have to come down. Not to mention the ones that are probably in your backyard right now uh, that are very similar to it. Uh, that type of religious cleansing across this country would just be absolutely abhorrent. Yeah, I, I just can't imagine Arlington Cemetery without uh, without the crosses. And uh, I, I seem to recall. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong here, but I seem to recall that uh, the. A county of Bladensburg, uh, the county where the uh, the cross is located, actually gave the uh, property gave uh, the land that the that the cross is on back to private back to private uh, use. Is that correct? Well, no, it's actually the other way around. So it was private use initially. It was a private property owned by the American Legion. And when the highway had to be expanded that ran right beside it, the state of Maryland took over that the property. And, and so now you actually have a kind of an awkward traffic intersection in which three roads converge and, and kind of rotate around this memorial. And, and what happens is that um, uh, now that that is, is public property, now just keep in mind, it's kind of in a highway median there. There are other memorials around it. There's another 
another one in the median just across the way there called the, uh, the, the Battle of Bladensburg Memorial. That's from the War of 1812. That's maybe 50 feet or so away from the Bladensburg World War I Veterans Memorial. Maybe 100 yards or not even 100 feet, 150 yards maybe away from, from the actual memorial. There's another memorial to Vietnam and Korea. Next one to that is for the veterans of World War II. And then next to that are people who died during 9-11 as a nice little memorial set up over there. So this is an area known as Veterans Memorial Park for the town of Bladensburg in the county of Prince George's, Maryland. That's a way that they remember men and women who lost their lives in service to this country uh, right there within the town of Bladensburg. Indeed, that was the stated mission of the mothers when they uh, came up with this idea, that they would choose 49 men from Prince George's County, Maryland, to be remembered on this memorial. And that's what it's been ever since 1925 when it was erected. And somebody objected to this because they could see it, and it hurt their feelings? Is, is, that, is that right? That's right. You know, look, I was outside the Supreme Court last week during oral arguments while our, our attorneys were arguing inside. I was organizing some of the media outside, and it was shocking to me to listen to the, the, the protest uh, of the American Humanist Association, one of the other people that are arguing this case that, that actually brought the lawsuit. One of the speakers on that podium, and there were a bunch of them that came through that day, one of the speakers actually said that when you come over the bridge into Bladensburg and see this memorial, it's as if the town of Bladensburg is giving the middle finger to veterans who don't believe in God everywhere. He said it's like some sort of Christian gang symbol that is, uh, is obviously uh, offensive to people. Well, nothing could be further than the, from the truth. Look, this is a veterans memorial. One mother actually wrote to her senator thanking him for his support of this project and said, the reason I'm so excited about this memorial is that I can't visit my son's grave. At that time, it's kind of hard to get across the Atlantic. She never had any thought that she would. I can't visit his grave, she said. I consider this to be my son's gravestone. And indeed, talking to the descendants that I've been able to connect with, they all see it as the same way. They know they, their, their uncle may not be buried there, but they consider this to be their, their uncle's gravestone, as do so many families uh, likewise. Uh, it, it would be an absolutely disgrace for us to tear down what some people call their, their uh, son's gravestones. Another thing that I've noticed in the release that you issued is that uh, you're hoping to set a, a standard that's more in, more in keeping with the U.S. Constitution, more in keeping with what the founders actually uh, intended with the First Amendment. How does this work? Well, you know, somebody might ask, so what did you do before 1971 when that case was put into place by the Supreme Court? And the simple answer to that, or maybe the simplistic answer to that, is that we just relied upon the Establishment Clause. If Congress shall make no law regarding the establishment of religion, then we have to ask ourselves, did Congress make a law here to establish religion by allowing a veterans memorial in the shape of a cross to be on public property? The American Humanist Association says, yes, a cathedral and religious services are now here present because of this memorial. Well, that's, that's patently and obviously not the case. Uh, just because there's a memorial there does not mean that it is somehow established a religion. That just is, is frankly, silly to think about. But what, the, what, the, what our test we put forward to kind of get back to what the Founding Fathers had in mind here was, is very simple. It just simply says, unless the government is somehow coercing citizens into some sort of religious belief or religious behavior, the Establishment Clause is not offended. That's it. Uh, and so here, a passive memorial does nothing to coerce anyone into any type of religious belief or behavior. It simply stands there in silent witness to the men it is meant to represent, those 49 men from Prince George's County, Maryland, who died defending freedom. That's it. And that really has been a, a symbol of, of, uh, of loss 
the, the cross has been a, a symbol of loss, I think, and, and memorial for a long time. I know I, I've seen it in, in other places where there's certainly not a Christian message. And I, it seems to me that in this particular case also there's not a specific Christian message. It's simply saying, remember those who gave their life. Yeah, and, and who are we remembering, by the way? This is where I think not only the nickname for this memorial comes to be true, it's, the locals call it the Peace Cross. It's designed to remember a time when there was awful war that was resolved through peace, and we ought to be committed to that peace and keeping that peace, too. But it's also important to remember the men on that memorial and how it shows such unity there. Uh, there are four or five guys on there, maybe more, that were African Americans that served during World War One, and, and the ones that I know of are men who served in the famed Red Hand Division. Now, if you don't know anything about the Red Hand Division, it's really fascinating. It's a it's a division that the uh, United States military raised as a segregated unit, believing that black men and white men shouldn't fight together uh, against a common enemy of, of freedom. Instead, they, they segregated these, uh, these men into battle, and the Red Hand Division was given over to the, the French Army for command. And they fought valiantly during World War I, albeit as a, secular, as a, as a uh, segregated unit. Well, you know, July 12, 1925 is when this memorial was erected outside of, outside of Washington, D.C. Those men are listed in alphabetical order right alongside their, their white colleagues as well. So you've got guys like John Henry Seaburn who served in that division. He was a laborer. He was the only son of, of three daughters there as well. He was the way that his family was being provided for with his service in the military. You know, it, it came from a very uh, highly percentage African-American population of North Brentwood, Maryland, right about a half a mile away from, from the memorial itself. He is right there next to Thomas Fenwick. Well, Tom Fenwick served in uh, World War One. He he grew up maybe maybe a quarter of a mile from where John Seaburn grew up, but in kind of the white predominantly white part of the, of the town. Uh, and he served in, in, in the military, died there as well. Well, Tom Fenwick descends from Ignatius Fenwick, one of the Revolutionary War patriots from that area. He's a colonel in the Revolutionary War. His property actually became part of Washington, D.C. It, it, it's incredible. You couldn't have two different types of people. They are united. Although they were segregated in battle, they're united on the base of this memorial. It's a treasure that we ought to be reminded of in our nation's history at a time 30 years before our own military integrated. Where do we go from here? The, you've argued the case now before the Supreme Court. What happens? Well, now it's time to wait. Uh, you know, the court has met last Friday and, and voted on what their thoughts are after oral argument. They will now go back to uh, their own chambers and start drafting various opinions in keeping with that vote and trying to persuade one another as to the rightness of their position and, and to bring them into that discussion as well. Uh, and so at some time in uh, June, we ought to be hearing a decision from the Supreme Court as to whether or not this memorial and other ones like it will be allowed to stand and to see whether or not the court is going to provide any clarity to this area of the law. I've heard from people who actually witnessed the uh, oral arguments that uh, they're rather encouraged by the questions and the demeanor of the justices. Well, it certainly was a hot bench, that's for sure. The, the court was certainly asking a lot of very um, interested questions. One I found interesting from Justice Gorsuch in reading over the the, uh, the transcript of the argument, he, he was questioning, I think, the opposing party about uh, the 20-step the or so process that she had proposed to the court there. Uh, and whether or not the lemon test was uh, kind of done with. And, and the question mark was whether or not we should thank uh, Lemon for its service and send it on its way. Well, that's an interesting way to put it, and, and maybe that's where some of the, the justices are thinking. You also had Justice uh, Roberts go, you know, look, if I had to follow this test as a trial judge, which I've been, he says, I'd throw up my hands in the air and not know where to start. 
you know, it, it's been that problematic to try to deal with these kind of crazy and, and somewhat uh, complex ways of, of evaluating a veterans memorial. Look, at the end of the day, as, as our attorneys argued on uh, on that day of oral argument. At the end of the day, it shouldn't take five years of litigation and a four-volume appendix to determine whether or not a veterans memorial is constitutional. And so what we're looking at here is not just the case of the Bladensburg situation. We're actually looking at overturning a precedent of the Supreme Court, the uh, the Lemon decision. Is that right? Well, that, that's certainly our hope, and what we've we've asked the court to do is, is to, to agree with Justice Thomas that this area is in hopeless disarray, or as others have described it, a, a hot mess, or even Justice uh, Gorsuch in, in argument asked it, or referred to it as something of a, a dog's breakfast. So, I mean, it's getting the descriptions are getting worse and worse about this uh, this test, and is leading to these unworkable results. So you you've got. You, you literally have monument police out there that have to go on the town square at Christmas time and figure out if there's enough reindeer and if, if those reindeer and Santa Clauses and candy canes and, and uh, Christmas candles are close enough to the, the nativity scene to give it a secular purpose and a secular meaning uh, to ensure whatever neutrality that is supposedly required by the establishment. I mean, th- th- this is the, the absurdity of where we've gotten to, where you've got uh, you've got uh, teachers that are worried to allow students to hand out candy canes at their Christmas, I mean holiday parties in school lest they fear being uh, uh, sued as a school for establishing a religion by allowing kids to hand out candy canes that are reflective of a shepherd's crook or the letter J for Jesus i mean <laughs> these are the silly results that have resulted since 1971 and it's just time to be done with it all unless the government is actually coercing you into some sort of religious belief or behavior there is no violation of the Establishment Clause. That's what the Founding Fathers put in place and what it works so well for the majority of our country's history. Well, I know I see a lot of things that offend me, but, you know, I'm, <laughs> I don't have any right not to be offended. Yeah, that's exactly right. I, I was, I've searched all the way through my copy of the Constitution to find that amendment that says that uh, Congress will make a law that you shall not be offended. It just doesn't exist. Uh, certainly, I'm offended every time I drive by a billboard that has somewhat pornographic images on it, but I'm told that that's protected speech uh, under the First Amendment, and I should just avert my eyes and move on. Or if I see something like that on a TV channel, I should change the channel. Well, why can't people just simply avert their eyes as they drive by the, the this Veterans Memorial, this gravestone to 49 men from Prince George's County, Maryland? Was that question asked of the uh, people who want to turn down the uh, the memorial? Well, that specific one was not asked, but it, there were a lot of questions very similar to it. Uh, and I'm, I'm hopeful, based upon the questions that were asked during argument, that in fact we might actually have a decision here that, that gives good clarity to this area of the law, perhaps even overturns uh, the lemon test, and, and goes on to allow these, these debates and discussions to be over with, to remind ourselves that uh, we have a government that is supposed to be prohibited from coercing you into any kind of religious belief or behavior, uh, and not uh, protecting your your right not to be offended. And also, does it, don't we have the right for the government not to uh, force us to abandon our beliefs or to, to back away from our religious symbols? You know, the greatest travesty that would come out of this is if this memorial is knocked down and all memorials like it everywhere would be knocked down as well. But the level of religious cleansing that that would take place in, in the public square is nauseating to even think about. If you could imagine a bulldozer knocking over this Veterans Memorial, this gravestone of 49 men in Prince George's County, Maryland, and then a wrecking ball having to go over to Arlington National Cemetery and knock down the Argonne Cross and the Canadian Cross of Sacrifice, you'd have to have a guy with a sandblaster come over to the tomb of the 
unknowns and knock off that language on the side of it that sounds religious about here's line one, here is someone who line here whose remains are known but to God, and then think about the monuments and memorials in your backyard. You'd have to you'd have to uh, knock off the display of the Ten Commandments inside the Supreme Court's own chambers. You'd have to uh, you'd have to sandblast off the, the uh, proverbs that are at the base of the Capitol in West Virginia. Uh, you'd have all kinds of things all over the country that would have to be demolished, destroyed, or otherwise uh, reconfigured. That would be an absolute desecration. And you think of these veterans memorials especially, and talking to the men and women of the American Legion, I mean, it's very clear that they view this as an absolute slap in the face, that anyone would even think about destroying or altering a veterans memorial. That comes close to desecration. That's exactly exactly the word that they use, as a matter of fact, that it would be a desecration to ruin the gravestones of these 49 men. Well, what's up for uh, Liberty Institute now? I mean, there's, there are many, many cases on the horizon, I'm sure. What's, what's oh, next indeed. on your agenda? Yeah, we're, we're working on quite a few cases right now. In fact, we've got one before the Supreme Court as well with uh, Aaron and Melissa Klein, the, the, uh, the wedding cake bakers out yeah, of Oregon. Yeah, Sweet Cakes by Melissa, yes. Sweet Cakes by Melissa. That is uh, pending right now before the Supreme Court. I think in two weeks the court's going to conference on that case and determine whether or not they want to take it. We still are working with uh, Coach Joe Kennedy out in uh, Washington State uh, and his right to be able to take a knee in silent prayer for 15 or 30 seconds on the football field after a football game. That's why he was fired, and, and we're still working on that case, even though the court has sent that back down for further action in the lower courts. Uh, and then there's, there's all kinds of other cases out there as well. And the greater concern I have is not the cases we're working on. Those are in good hands right now. I'm worried that there are men and women listening to this right now that have an issue of religious liberty and don't know what to do. And if that describes your situation, if your student has been told they can't pray over their lunch or can't read their Bible at school or can't have their school club, uh, the religious club, or if you've got an issue in the military of religious liberty or, or something like that, please give us a call. Uh, we would love to be able to talk to you. And the best part of it is that if we're able to represent you, we do it for free. Uh, we don't charge our clients anything, thankfully. We want to make sure that they have the ability to, uh, if your rights have been offended, you shouldn't have to, you shouldn't have to pay an attorney to, to restore them. And how do they get in touch with you? Go to firstliberty.org, F-I-R-S-T, liberty.org, or give us a call at 972-941-4444. But the best place to start is at firstliberty.org. Mr. Dice, I want to thank you so much for being on the program and shedding some light on the importance of this particular issue. It certainly is going to be earth-shaking one way or the other. I think so. And I'd encourage folks to go to FirstLiberty.org and sign the petition in support of the Bladensburg Memorial. It's your way to stand in solidarity with the American Legion and behind their memorial. Well, thank you very much for being on the program, and keep up the work. Thank you. World Lutheran News Digest may be heard every Wednesday at 2.30 p.m. and again at 9.30 a.m. Saturday Central Time on Worldwide KFUO. It may also be heard anytime streaming online at kfuo.org. Join us again next Wednesday for another new edition of World Lutheran News Digest. I'm your host, Kip Allen. World Lutheran News Digest is a broadcast ministry of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. WLN Digest is produced through the facilities of Worldwide KFUO. You can also listen to WLN Digest on demand at kfuo.org. To correspond with World Lutheran News Digest, email news at kfuo.org.